part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You can be seated and you can open your Bibles to John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 3 and kind of some other verses uh, related to that for several weeks. Uh, if you were not here last week, then you may have missed, or you did miss, kind of that, that opening. Maybe you listened to it on the podcast or something. But we always have a vision verse for every year. And for this year, it's uh, very much that he must increase, you know, that we want more and more of Christ in our lives, and that we must decrease less and less of ourselves. And as we've said many times, I don't like sticker bumper theology. I don't like just say, okay, here's these cute little words, and we kind of put it on there, and then we go on our merry way. Now, let's know what's behind these seven words that we see reflected in John 3.30. So last week, we really just kind of went through John 1 and John 3 and, and kind of did a background study of what was the context of this. And we're going to continue that a little this morning, but, but here's the objective. I'll tell you the objective right at first. For the next several weeks, it's kind of like decreasing 101. How do we actually get this attitude, this mindset of decrease? Because it is an attitude. It is something that has to be done purposeful. Now, you might say, well, no, I've, I've been knocked to my knees before. Yeah, there are things that can knock us to our knees. But, but folks, if, if we want to live this out this year, really, do you want something to knock you, you to your knees? I mean, is that what you're inviting in? Because God, in his love and his grace, will do that. Remember, he's the God that will tap. He's the top that will kind of, you know, hit the shoulder a little bit more. And he is the God because of his grace and his mercy. He will turn you around at times. Not out of anger, not out of, you know, spite, but out of pure love because he knows that his way is best for your life. And, And so how do we have this mindset, this attitude? How do we actually let it become a part of our own personal vision and not just the vision of the church? How do we take this on? Well, this morning we're going to kind of look at a first step, and it's what I call know your call. Because one of the things that we see kind of as a surety in John, one thing that that just really was a foundational thing for him, he knew his call. And we explored a lot of that last week in John 1 and John chapter 3, that even when his disciples got a little rustled, and they go, wait, 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 time out, we were here first. Why is Jesus baptizing a whole bunch of people? We were the baptizers. John, your name. John the Baptist. That's how people even know you. And when they got territorial, John never went into that mindset. (laughs) From the very beginning, he he told them that he showed them. Not just told them, but he showed them that that was not his mindset. How did he do that? Because he knew his call. See, guys, one of the things that we have to realize, realize about our human nature is that uh, we do have a desire to increase. Would you agree that part of the human nature is to increase rather than decrease? Whatever that might be. I mean, not just monetarily. I mean, if, we, if I said, who would like to go to their job tomorrow and get an extra $30,000 just because? Who wouldn't? Okay, so we often think of increase in that capacity. But do you know that we have this nature that is just bent toward increase? If you've ever, you know, when you're raising your kids... Can you remember the first time that your son or your daughter kind of pushed back against you and said, me do? Do you remember that moment? That all of a sudden, you know, whether it was, you know, getting the SpaghettiOs into their mouth or whether it was the bottle or whether it was this and the other, that you had been doing that and you'd been assisting them and you'd been leading them. And then their moment came when this independent spirit said, no, me do. 
May do. And, and thank goodness that goes away at the age of two or three, right? Yeah. No, it just, it's the birth of this me-do person. Here's the thing. At 55, I'm a me-do person. At 40, at 20, at, at 60 and 70, would you confess? Would you realize that we have this bent? toward it? Now, that doesn't mean that we have to always give in to it. By the power of Christ and by the transformation of Christ in our lives, we truly can do this and do it authentically and it just not become some bumper sticker or some kind of slogan that we have. You can have this heart. You can have this mindset. You can have this as a purpose when you wake up every morning. But you cannot do this separate from Christ. I'm just telling you, you can't do it. Why? Because you already have this bent in your life. Uh, this desire. You know, somebody said, well, you know, Bobby, you know, Pastor, I, I kind of want to decrease. Uh, I think of this tiny house craze that's kind of going on right now. And, and I would be in the midst of that craze. Uh, I would love 800 square feet. <laughs> and, and that's exactly when I mentioned it, that's exactly what I got. <laughs> she, would, she doesn't need the square footage as long as it has a bedroom for each of the kids when they do come home, okay, twice a year. And, uh, but, you know, I, I totally and just, you know, I love that whole tiny house. But have you ever watched the show and have you ever seen their motivation? I, I can't say it across the board, and I certainly don't want to color everybody with the same, uh, you know, statement that I'm about to make. But for most of them, most of the time, it, it goes along this, well, I just want a simpler life and, and to kind of be simple and not waste my money so that I can have more time to do the things that, that I want to do. And so this guy gets, you know, this tiny house, so he has a lot more of his funding to go toward because he really likes to hike and he likes to do this. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just, that's not the decrease that we're talking about. We're not talking about, okay, yeah, you know, once a year I'd like to clean, clear out the closets and clean everything and get rid of a lot of stuff. That's not the decrease that we're talking about. All of us have a little bit of that. Well, almost everybody. Some in here are hoarders. I, I realize you don't want to decrease on your stuff at all, but... But a lot of us maybe want that clarifying. This is not the decrease that we're talking about. And it certainly wasn't the decrease that John was talking about. What was the decrease that he was talking about? It was that Jesus, I just want to do totally what you have called me to do. I understand this is the call. Now that I've baptized you, now that I've made this proclamation, now that we have prepared the way for the Lord, just as you were instructing me to do, I just want to be obedient. And I want this to be my heartbeat that he must increase and, and I must decrease. I'm going to give you the punchline of what happened in John the Baptist's life. Many of you may know that. You study the Bible and may know that. For those that don't, he makes this proclamation. He declares that this is the heartbeat that he wants. That Jesus must increase and that he must decrease. Well, let's fast forward and let's look over what happens in Mark chapter 6, verse 23 and 24. For those that don't know the end of the story, I'm going to give you the end of the story and then we'll work backwards for the next six weeks. Let me give you a little background what's happening here. Uh, John the Baptist have had some frictional moments with the king, King Herod, to say the least. King Herod uh, uh, is living in a, a simple relationship. His, uh, John has spoken against that. 
Herod is still attracted to some of the words of truth of John the Baptist. His wife, Herodias, is not. Okay, She does not like to be reminded of her sin. The king has this big palace festival, this big dinner. And at that dinner, Herodias' daughter comes out and dances. And it was probably quite seductive. And because the Bible tells us <laughs> that he was really pleased with the dance. And you can just kind of read into it that that inference is there, not because we live in a sexual society. It's just that's kind of what was going on here. And he says, look at verse 23, And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, to this daughter, whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. So Herodias' daughter goes out. And she goes, Can you imagine? I could ask for anything. I could ask for money. I could ask for this, that, a house. I could ask for all these different things. What should I ask for? And look at the response in verse 24. And she went out and she said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, that is the mother said, the head of John the Baptist. She has this grudge. She has this, you know, this irritant because it's a reminder of her sin. She said, you know what I really want? I want this John the Baptist to be done with. So what happens there? Look at verse 25. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Because of his oaths to his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and he beheaded him in the prison. And he brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. Not exactly tiny house on a lake. Not that kind of decrease, guys. So when you think decreases, I just, I, I really do. I want a simpler life. This is not what we're talking about. What this is is an invitation to end your own life. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about in a spiritual way there so that you're totally living for Christ. This is the call of Christ. It's the, as far as I know, it's the only religion that calls for us to really die so that we can live. In, in that capacity. The invitation of Christ. Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is not no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the call of Christianity. This is not the call of Paul's life. This wasn't the call of the apostle's life. This is the call into the Christian life. Paul understood that. And he communicates that to us. This is the call. If you have put your faith and trust in Christ as the only one that can make peace with a holy God because of your sin, if, if you've made that decision in your life, if you trusted Christ and Christ alone for your faith, this is the call upon your life. This isn't just for elders. This isn't just for pastors. is isn't for kind of the top tier of Christianity. This is the call upon every Christian life. It doesn't stop there. We can find a lot of other texts. Let me give you one other. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. The words of Christ himself. Very familiar words. If, if you've been in church a lot, you know these words. And these are the words of Christ. And listen to his invitation. Listen to his commission. Listen to his call. And he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now a cross was known for what? Death. You, you didn't go to the cross, spend a day there, and they said, okay, out of timeout, go back to your, you know, your house. The cross was not timeout. 
It was not a temporary thing. It was a permanent thing. It had one intention, that it was death. And yet, this is what Christ invites you to. It's an amazing thing, guys. Because it is so counter the way that our own mind works. Me do. This is that my, ori- my orientation, I, I must increase. And yet, the invitation of Christ is that we would decrease, even to the point, maybe not a physical death like John the Baptist. I, I don't know that John the Baptist knew that it was going to end up that way, but I think he 100%, when he said, I, I must decrease and he must increase I think he was very much willing on that moment and every day after every breath afterwards I think that he very much was right there if it leads in this then it leads to this and and that's the attitude that I want to have I imagine it may be the attitude that you want to have in your life and that's why in 2018 how do we live this out how do we really take on this attitude of decrease because have you ever tried to force decrease on somebody Again, let's go back to parent-child relationship. When you try to force decrease on somebody, what do you usually get in response? And you can say a word. Resistance? Rebellion? I mean, yeah, you, you, you don't get, well, you know, I was thinking about that myself, and I really think that I need to decrease a lot. And so, Mom, Dad, thank you for helping me in this whole decreasing thing. Because that's really kind of what my heart was. In fact, that was my goal for 2018. That spirit is not in a child, that spirit is not an adult, unless it's the transformation of the mind and the heart by the very spirit of God, by the gospel, the hope of Christ. Christ does not invite us into something that he would then leave us to our own doing. It's only through Christ that we can take on this attitude. And so this is why John the Baptist could say in in verse 29, uh, chapter 3, verse 29 of John, therefore this joy of mine is now complete. Remember we looked at that last week? His disciples come up and they're complaining. They're all kind of going back and forth, friction. Hey, they're on our territory. And and John gives them this picture of a bride and a bridegroom and that he's the best man. And he says there's great joy when you've done your job as the best man. He said, there's great joy. When the ring got delivered, the touches got taken back, and they're married, and they're off on the honeymoon, he says, there's great joy in knowing I did my job. And that's the joy he's talking about there. This is the very thing that John was born to do. Pastor, what do you mean that John was born to do this? Well, do you know that 700-plus years before John was, ever took his first breath, that the prophet Isaiah spoke of John coming. Listen, calling by name, but look what it says, Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. I mean, I said, okay, I I don't quite understand. No, 700 years before, this is John's job. It doesn't have John the Baptist attached to it, but this is a prophecy that God gave to Isaiah to say, okay, when the Christ comes, there's going to be one that comes as the forerunner, one that comes before him, and here's what he's going to, he's going to prepare the way. He's going to just prepare the way. That's not the last that we see in the Old Testament. Right before a 400-year silence, when things go dark kind of for 400 years and there's not a word from God from a prophet, one of the, the last prophet that we see in the Old Testament in Malachi, look what he says, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger 
and he will prepare the way before him. Kind of the same words, kind of rearranged a little bit. Well, Pastor, how do you know that they were really talking about John the Baptist? Well, I take it on good advice. The advice of who? The advice of Christ himself. Matthew chapter 11, verse 10. This is the words of Christ. He's talking about John the Baptist. And here's what Christ says. He says, This is he whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before, you, uh, before your face, who will prepare your, way before, uh, prepare your way before you. Have you heard those words before? This is the prophecy of Isaiah. This is the prophecy of Micah. And Christ comes back in his ministry and said, John the Baptist was the guy. This is what he was born to do. One of the most frustrating things, how many of y'all started uh, after high school or maybe even a college career not knowing what you wanted to do? It was kind of just up in the air. Yeah. A lot of us. How many of you are of age now and you still don't know what you want to do? <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people. You know, isn't, have you ever heard somebody say, yeah, from five years old, I just knew that God had called me to be this? I've always marveled at those people. I was going, man, would that not be cool? Just to know that when you were 11 years old, that God had called you to be a missionary. That God had called you. I thought, man, wouldn't life be great if God's call was so clear, you just knew what you were supposed to do. Well, John was that way. I mean, talking about a little bit of lead time, 700 years? 400 years? By the time he's born, he knows, and he's called. And then when he's able to accomplish that call, what does he say? With joy. With joy. See, the beauty of the call is when we have fulfilled that call, there's that sense of, we did it. And there's also that sense of, I was born for this. As a Christian, do you realize that God has a call upon your life? I, I would think that most Christians would say, yeah, kind of. Does he want me to be a missionary? Does he want me to be this or that? No. In one way, it's a very general call. And this general call is that we just become this people of God. Uh, Paul described it this way when he was talking to Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1.9, he said, uh, Christ has saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So God saved you, but he saved you with a purpose. He's a calling upon your life. Uh, Paul, when he was talking to the Ephesians, said it this way, Ephesians 1, verse 3 and 4. Even as he chose us in him before, the, before when? The foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. You know what he's saying? That 700-year kind of lead time that John had, the lead time on, on you believing in Christ, coming and following Christ, before the time became, before the foundation of the world. God's got a call upon your life, guys. God has made it quite, quite personal. Now, that's kind of more the general call, but there's a lot of times that God is going to have very much a specific call on our lives. I don't think we have to stretch this out. I don't think we have to do a lot of spiritual gymnastics to see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You know, in verse 8 and 9, it talks about that we're saved. 
of the grace of God through faith, you know, that we're saved. But look what it says in verse 10. After God has made it very clear that our salvation comes from the work of Christ and not from our own works. After he's made that abundantly clear, look what he says in verse 10. For we are his workmanship. In the Greek, probably one of the best translations we have is masterpiece. Now, masterpiece, if we just think of masterpiece, are masterpieces generic? I mean, you just, you know, if you have a work of art, the, the Mona Lisa, are, are there a thousand different Mona Lisas? Out there? Not the prints of it. You know, are there a thousand different original works of the Mona Lisa? No, there's this one Mona Lisa. When God calls us a masterpiece there, when he calls us that, that we are his workmanship, it is very, it's not general anymore, it is very much, this is what he's called you to, and you to, and to you. Let's finish that. He's created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared what? Beforehand. He doesn't sit there and go, ah, man, Ricky came to know me as, as Lord and Savior. Let me get a plan for his life. Beforehand, before the foundation of the world, God knows your salvation, and he has a plan for, for what he wants you to do, how you are a masterpiece. You see, one of the biggest reasons why John was so willing to decrease is because he knew the role that God had called him to play. Here's two things you need to understand, very practical here, spiritual but yet practical. When you know your role, it allows you to say yes with passion. And it allows you to say no with conviction. How many of y'all have a hard time saying no? Just in life. So you know the guilt and the weight. Of, man, you say one no to 20 yeses, and all you can think about is not the 20 yeses that you just said, but the one no that you just said. It's like, man, I have so disappointed that person, my husband, my children, my mother, my father, whoever it might be. I really get that. But here, it, when you understand your role, it allows you to say yes with passion and no with conviction. John was able to say yes with great passion. Man, this brings me joy to know that I've completed the work that God has called me to do. He wanted the, the road prepared, uh, the path smooth. I've done that, and I think he was ready to die. Not that he had a death wish, but I think that at any point after that, John would have said, but I did what God had called me to do. And there was a joy in that. Look back at verse uh, 6 and 8 of John chapter 1. Look at this clarification of the role that John plays. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. This is his role. Prepare the way, bear witness to the light. I'm not the light. I'm here to bear witness to the light. And that's why he could say, hey, I need to decrease. Christ needs to increase. It's time for him, his ministry, to take the forefront when we begin to understand that, when we begin to see our role with clarity, whether that's a role as a mother, whether that's a role as a husband, a wife, whether that's a role of a child to a parent, when we begin to understand godly roles in our life, because if you're a Christian and you're married, 
and you're a husband, there's a calling upon your life. There is that generic, or a general one. I don't want to say generic, but general one. But then there's a very personal one. I'm to love my wife as Christ loved the church, but I'm to love Carly as Christ loved the church. And so there's a, this general call to every husband who, who follows Christ, but then there's this very specific, because I have a very specific wife. And I will be able to say yes to that, even in my selfish moments, and have passion about that yes when I get that, when that mindset is there. And I'll be able to say no to those things that would be distracting, that would not be a part of that. Do you understand that, how clarifying that can be? Please don't take that as just a life lesson, but certainly see a life lesson in there. That the more we understand our role in life with clarity from God, nobody's going to trump God. Nobody's going to have a a, a bigger authority or should have a a louder voice in your life than God. And so when you hear it from God, it just gives you clarity. And with that clarity, you can have passion in your yeses and you can have conviction in your noes. And John is able to do that. Mark, this is Mark Lindsay. He's the the pastor at Christ Community Church. And I'll ask you two questions kind of along these lines. Is that on? It is. Yeah, there we go. Okay, Mark, uh, you have worked uh, in really big churches all across the, the South, in, in Alabama and Florida, and uh, so you've left the church of thousands, and now God has called you to establish, and you, he's surrounded you with some really good quality people, but you're starting off with about 18 folks yeah. or so, and uh, man, you're talking about decrease, you know, going from a you know, steady paycheck Things yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to a, to a place where um, uh, you've gone out. You're bivocational right now. You're working another job. Mm-hmm. What part did God's call? Because there were churches that were offering jo- you jobs to yeah. go right back into big churches and, and to do that. What part did God's call to you at this stage of your life help you decide? Hey, you know, He's calling me to plant a church over here in Brazelton kind of in the Chateau-Alain area? Yeah. It's an interesting question, Bobby, and, and as I was thinking, just you were preaching a minute ago, I was thinking, wow, that's kind of the path I went down. Um, it was uh, when I was coming out of seminary, <coughs> excuse me, when I was coming out of seminary, the Lord had really burned my heart for church planting. And uh, I was in North American ministry, so it was church planting throughout North America. I had no idea where it might be. And so I came out from seminary, had an offer from First Baptist Atlanta to go on staff there. Uh, but I also simultaneously had an offer from a little storefront church in Clarkson, Georgia, that was a church plant. I'd been there less than five years at the time. And uh, went there and served with them for several years. And uh, then God led us away from there to an actual church plant in Gwinnett County, down near in the Snellville area. I was working bivocationally at the time. You know, here I am, master's degree, everything. It's about working bivocationally, planting a little church. And I was happy as I could be because that was God's general call fleshed out specifically at that point in time. Uh, the Lord then let us, uh, the seminary moved us back to Columbia, South Carolina, and uh, had an opportunity not to go on staff, but uh, we had a, a large church. The pastor was wanting us to come there. And uh, we chose rather to work with a little church plant in Lexington, South Carolina, which is a, a bedroom community of Columbia. Um, had an opportunity from there to go pastor a small church plant in Spartanburg, but at that time we were starting to have kids. 
and we had planted two churches in a row, and I felt like, well, let's, let's you know, go a little different path. So we went to this large church in Florida that you mentioned, Park Avenue Baptist Church, Peter Lord, a very well-known pastor down there. From there, went to Huntsville, Alabama, Jimmy Jackson over there, and uh, that was a church of 6,000 people. And so we, we had a singles ministry on a good day of 180 or so folks. And so it was, it was an interesting process that God led us back here to Shadowbrook Church, a church of five to 600 at that point in time. And um, it was an interesting process. The, the whole time, this general call to church planting was there. That's where we, I really felt that was my heart, where my heart of hearts was. But God had given me different assignments along the way. And so now that brings us up to, you know, uh, about a year, a little over a year ago. And uh, God's beginning to work in my heart, showing me that, uh, you know, after you had left and change was happening at the church, that, that he, it was the season of change again. And so when we found out that, uh, that we were being changed out <laughs> of, of the church, began to really, uh, you know, seek God and had been seeking him really before that time. There was a church in South Carolina that wanted us to come over there, that, that was uh, going to offer us a job, a position over there. But as Pam and I prayed through it, we just felt that conviction once again that God was leading us a different direction. And uh, God had been building in my heart uh, a, a real love for Brazelton. My dermatologist is over there. <laughs> I was telling Mr. Joe, my dermatologist was over there. So I was driving over there regularly seeing all this development, all this growth, this new roads and hospitals and, and all these things that were going over there, subdivisions. And I'm thinking, where are the churches here? And God had begun to build that, that call, that specific call. You mentioned general and specific. Began to build that specific call in my life once again there. And so Pam and I were able, we, we began to pray through it. And we began to see there's just a lot of them. Don't have time to tell you all of them. But God began to just show us this and, and open this. And, and uh, in prayer one morning in January, a month before, when I was still at Shadowbrook, I told Pam, I was off that day, I said, Pam, I'm just going to pray that God would show us specifically what he wants us to do. I still have the text on my phone. At noon, I texted her, I said, I really believe that God has given us, has given me this vision of what he wants us to do next. And he's released us for me to go into bivocational ministry again, which is fabulous ministry. It was a month later that we found out that God took the next step with us. And we're in this little boat all of a sudden, and we're getting pretty far out into the water now, you know. And I'm looking back, and I'm thinking, wow, this is becoming a, pretty much of a faith journey again right here, which is a great place to be. And God confirmed it through several other things. The last one was I needed a job. If I was going to go by vocational, that presumes that you've got a vocation. <laughs> you know? So I'm going, okay, Lord, this is the big one. You're the God that does impossible things. Lord, and this is the only day of discouragement that I've had in the whole process. I said, Lord, I, I need a job, and I, and I really just need for you to show up, and, and, and I'm dependent on you. And I left the office that day. I was actually packing up my office. I was walking out to my car. Folks, before I got to the back door, my cell phone rang, and a friend of mine said, Hey, Mark. I've got a job. Do you, do you want it? And I said, well, let me pray. Yes. <laughs> and so um, it's been just one thing after another like that. We've got some things happening even now that are just, it just, God just continues to do this to confirm the specific call that you're talking about. There was the general, yeah, church planting that God had called us to, 
But all along the way, all the way up to this specific one here that we're dealing with now, Christ Community Church, Brazelton, God has continued to say, here, do this, do this, do this. And it was with that in mind that we went to South Carolina for this church the next day, or the next week they called, and I said, we can't. can't So would you say that the clarity of the call allows you to say yes with passion and no with conviction. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Yes. See, it, but it, sometimes it's going to be a call to sacrifice. I mean, you, we see what John was called into. It wasn't just all rah, rah, rah. It really was It ended up, we've already gone there. We see what happens. It, it ends his life. And, and when you go out, and you, there's something exciting about being a part of a church plant. There really is at the same time. You know, there's not a children's ministry yet. There's not a youth ministry yet. You've got this. And so all of a sudden you're coming, okay, there's sacrifice. But it's the call, guys. It's the call. I don't want you to hear two pastors. I want you to hear the timeless truth. That, that when we truly say, okay, God, this is, a, this is my heartbeat. I want my heartbeat to beat with yours on a call. That it will bring such clarity to your life, guys. And it will give you the passion to say yes those things and say it passionately without reserve and it will allow you to say no with conviction. doesn't mean that it's going to be... I, I'm surprised you said that there's only one hard day. Well, so far. Uh, I was going to say. So I'm, I'm glad you kind of... There have been, there been some moderately there. hard days. But, but uh, Mark, I think... Mark and I got to work together. Uh, we called him on staff at Shadowbrook and we worked together for many, many years. years. And uh, so uh, he's a part of my heart. And it's been wonderful just to see God work in his life. And I really did think, I really thought that he would go right back into some other type of, you know, parallel move of what he had been doing for the last 20, 30 years. And when he said, God's called us to plant a church, uh, it excited my heart. And I'm excited that we at CS can be a part of them. But what does a planting church do? I mean, a sending church, what, what does a sending church do? We pray for them, we encourage they're doing some big activity over there and they need chairs, we bring chairs. If they need bodies, we bring bodies. God's going to take care of them and he's going to see this come into something that only God could do. And we get to be a part of that. And so today, I want us to be, uh, we're going to have our, our kind of closing reflection time. But, uh, but before that, uh, Mark, I, I want you to stand here and I want to pray for you. And... Uh, I want all those that are uh, uh, a part of this church plant, if you could just kind of stand where you are. We want to pray for you today. And uh, we want to, to pray that God would encourage you, he would use you in a mighty way. And then we're going to have kind of, uh, at the very end, we're going to come back and we're going to have a time of just reflection of what does this mean to us. But, uh, uh, yes, Pam, thank you for coming up. This is his lovely wife, Pam. But will you join me in prayer as we uh, would pray for these this morning? Father God, how exciting it is to hear passion, how exciting it is to hear uh, the firmness of a calling. And so, Father, I pray for Mark and Pam. I pray for each one of these today that says, yes, this is what God has called us to. And we will leave the known to go to the unknown because we know the one who is calling us. 
And so, Father, we pray that you would help them prosper. Father, we help you uh, pray that you will help them in their foundational, just finding a place to, to meet on Sunday mornings, that you will bring people to hear the gospel. Father, that you will bless their work. So, Father, we thank you that we get to participate this in this as a sending church. And, Father, we, we just pray your blessings and your care, your encouragement to them. Father, for us at CS and for everybody else that's here this morning, Father, Father, I pray that you would just help us to realize the most joyful place that we could ever be is when we know your will and we're in the center of your will. And Father, I know that there are some that are struggling this morning just to know what that will is. Father, will you, will you assure them this morning of your love, your grace, your call upon their life. It may still be general that you've just called them to be a Christian husband, a Christian wife, a, 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 a father, a mother, to raise their children to know the beauty of the gospel. Our Father, it may be very specific. And you have been stirring in their heart for weeks, months, maybe even years. Father, give us this attitude to decrease so that people around us can see the increase of Christ in our lives. That we, like Paul, could say, I am now crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ Jesus lives in me. Let that be our passion this morning, Father, as we pray all these things in the blessed hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.